there, Shop of Maniacs. You are listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Goyer. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Back in the booth here. Got my lazy butt up and and moved over here. Yeah. Hopefully my mic sounds pretty good. I, I used Adobe's new mic check tool. I feel like you dreamed about this one time, Dave, where you could, you'd, there would be a tool that would just make sure, sh- just, a, just a gut check, make sure your mic isn't screwed up. Yeah, I, I saw they, they have it. I haven't actually tried it. So I just, yeah, just give me a tool to let me know if I sound stupid before I hit record. That would be awesome because when you find out afterwards... That you sound stupid is very bad. So, (laughs) we have a special guest on this week. I feel like we've talked about his blog posts for a number of different episodes recently. Brian Rinaldi, what's up, Brian? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, right on. Otherwise known as Remote Synthesis. That is your URL. (laughs) Wonderfully cool blog name. And uh, yeah, Thanks. we have you on precisely, precisely for that reason. I feel like it came up. I think Dave maybe you know it was circling around the Discord or whatever. Right at the beginning of the year, you blogged. What is Jamstack in 2023? And it was kind of one of those perfectly timed articles that had people scratching their chin and saying, "Yeah." What is Jamstack? And you weighed in on it, but I wonder if you could introduce us to that that conversation and thinking. Yeah, so I mean, it's actually a post I've been doing. Obviously, not in 2023, but I've done it every year uh, for the past few years because, you know, even in the Jamstack community, we've been debating it a lot ourselves. Um, a lot of dis- even quite a bit of disagreement over exactly what it means. Um, I think there was a year where I think every other day there seemed to be a new event or something about what Jamstack means. Um, And, and so I kind of share my thoughts and and they've been evolving a little bit. I think I tended to, you know, I'd be the one who I started with purely static sites. Um, You know, I started with Uh Jekyll a long, long time ago. And so, you know, my view of what this is um, has evolved to, uh, the latest one is more, I've come to the conclusion, I mean, it's, it, it is vague. It's intentionally vague. Um, it largely describes a community that uses a, a, a lot of similar tools. Uh, they range. Uh, you can build a site like a million different ways and make it jamstacky, but, but there's enough similarities there that I think the term is still valuable. Um, you know, I, I kind of noted that you can go to like, you know, you can read a post about Jamstack or go to a Jamstack event or whatever, you know, buy a Jamstack book and you kind of know more or less what it's going to talk about. So obviously there's some some meaning there. It's just there's a... Oh, I could see that argument that it's almost like a vibe or something that... Yeah, I, I, I see. But let's, I mean, if we wheel it all the way back, the word didn't just come out of nowhere. It was invented, like, almost for marketing reasons, right? Wasn't it Wasn't it Beelman and whatever, the early Netlify yes. days that literally, like, somebody ponied up 20 bucks for a domain name and said that these three letters are JavaScript, APIs, and markup. That means literally what they said. And yeah. uh, and that 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 is going to be quintessential to to what Netlify is, and and I don't know, it it felt like a movement 
then, it's nice to have a company that's kind of like mission-driven in a way or that has this philosophy on what websites can be, and then they build a tool around that. If It kind of feels like they got their head screwed on straight, you yes. know, that they're like, this is a movement, and we're going to build this company around this thing, and it made sense at the time. <laughs> Even though there was people scratching their head like, what is the difference between JavaScript and APIs? Like, that's a weird one. And then the, uh, everybody thought M was marked down forever, but really they just meant markup, like HTML, and it just got a little convoluted. And when, when do you think, because you've been tracking this for a while and they've even have worked in the industry quite a bit, like when did it start to like lose its, <laughs> I don't know, didn't it, didn't it start to, at the, it started strong and then it was starting to. I mean, did it, did it start strong though? Because I feel like <laughs> Hugo is go right so already we blew jay like jay's gone like <laughs> you know jekyll was ruby like ooh we lost the jay you know like already so like you know did it ever start or was it only about the produ- the final website yeah and i that's that's where i think the the term even initially was um so was super broad i mean what site isn't built with JavaScript APIs and markup now? I mean, even back then, it was not that uncommon, uh, you know, that any site did that. And and even the J part has been a confusing aspect of it, you know, the JavaScript part, because the original manifesto was entirely about client-side JavaScript. It was not about server-side JavaScript, like, or, or basically um, about building the site with a JavaScript based engine. Uh, because if you think about when it came out, uh, this was in 2015, I think it was that the term was kind of invented, uh, that, that there weren't really very many JavaScript based static site generators. In fact, right. I used to give talks going back to about 2013 or so I was giving talks on these topics because I got really into Jekyll and started learning all these different tools. And I even built like a whole GitHub repo where I was comparing all the different static site generators, at least the, the popular ones. And almost all of them were not JavaScript based. And I would go to these events and I'd get asked like, Oh, Hey, you know, you should give a talk about, a JavaScript based one because I want to I want to build this in JavaScript and I did build that talk and the net result at the time was like okay here's your options please don't use any of them they're terrible um, uh, and Gatsby kind of changed that so Gatsby yeah. was the first one that really popularized building this with JavaScript and changed even changed people's perception of the term because suddenly the J started meaning like, oh, we have to build this with a JavaScript framework. Otherwise, it's not Jamstack. Even this has lost me a little bit. Was it Was it the J, was it the fact that the tool that you called was written in Node, that kind of JavaScript? Or was it the fact that no, when you a- yeah. authored components, it would be like card.js? <laughs> you, you know, basically, the, the idea was that you were generating static sites. At the time, it was purely static sites. There was no like uh. static site generator that had server-side rendering. Netlify didn't support that. And there, and there were a couple of Netlify competitors, but none of them supported that. It was just a, basically a pipeline for generating static sites. So the way you added interactivity to your, to your site was with client-side JavaScript that actually called out to APIs and, and, to, and mm. other services and then added that interactivity. So I could add auth to my site or I could add, you know, um, dynamic content to my site, but that would all have to happen client-side because the entire thing was static deployed to a CDN. 
obviously that's a big part of what's changed. Right. Firebase was there at the yeah, time exactly. kind of helping with that. Even the Shop Talk Show job board was just a jQuery call to a JSON thing that spit out jobs and we formatted them to look nice and that was the job board. You know, there was no SSR there or anything. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so 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 that that there was a whole era of that kids <laughs> of, and, and it wasn't didn't Gatsby always have did like early Gatsby did did it, uh, did it have client side routing though? Or not? Yes, you know, to, it was client side routing. It, I mean, they didn't add anything server side. I mean, Gatsby was until I think Gatsby five had no server side rendering. It was still a static site generator, uh, and everything that happened interactively was happening on the client. So you know, Next.js was really the one who kind of started this you know bit of identity crisis in the Jamstack community because suddenly you you could do server side rendering. Um, and you could do, you know, you, you could do static and you could kind of pick and choose on on different routes. And now now it's gotten even way more complicated with like, OK, you know, different types of rendering. There's ISR, D, DSG. I don't I, I can't even keep track of all the acronyms myself. And I follow this way too closely um, to the, you know. To degree to where I even have now, now my presentations are already like understanding rendering in the Jamstack because here are all the different ways you can render stuff. Uh, and it's gotten really confusing. Um, I totally agree. It's, it's almost like the guy who writes the article ha had to. <laughs> or to wrap your mind around it at all. I feel like good luck even just, you know, it's like great that, that those articles exist, but it's like, oh my God, you almost have to. I don't know, slow down and do it yourself to understand because it's true. There's the ISR, right? Was the one that yeah. <laughs> sort of was like, oh, this doesn't exist in the cache yet, so I'll build it really quick. And then there's SWR, which was supposed to be in a similar bucket, but it was like, we'll serve you a stale copy and then regenerate it in the background so the next person doesn't get it. And, <laughs> and those are so similar, but companies had to fight yes. over the acronym to, to make it sound like they were the technological innovators behind all this. It was such a silly time there for a minute. Yeah, there, there was. I mean, I think there was three or four different acronyms that uh, all essentially were the same thing. They were They had slight, you know... Like philosophical differences that I felt were so slight that to the average user, it's like, um, I don't even know. I can't, I can't differentiate these two things at all. Uh, mm -hmm. You had to really dig into the details. Then most ODB, of the details, yeah, didn't matter. On-demand builder, not old dirty, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, but that was, was there any middle phase there? Because it feels like we went right from... Jekyll, which is like, it almost certainly has no JavaScript at all on the final build of the site, unless you put it there, like a script tag right. that loads your jQuery or whatever. And then we jumped into to, to Gatsby, or you know, and probably Next and stuff in there that shipped with the JavaScript bundle, that not only were you authoring in JavaScript, but it had JavaScript too, um, which gave you this opportunity to, I don't know, it almost invited you to, for example, hit APIs and such. Um, yeah. More so because you're you're already in this authoring environment of JavaScript, and then it's got this router sitting there, client side, which some people like, and probably to this day because it makes clicking around the website have that you know no page spinner feel. An SPA, as we've called it, one of my least favorite acronyms that has just taken absolute hold in this industry. 
Um, can you imagine being a beginner in this industry and be like, we're going to build an SPA? And they're going to, what does that mean? A single page app. And then having their brain be like, oh, I see, like a page, a, a website that only has one page then? No, no, it has. It's totally irrelevant to how many pages are on the website. You're like, why did you call it single page app then, you dorks? There's still SPAs that are Jamstack, right? I think that lost some people. There is. And now there's a big movement to, you know, we have to add the new acronym to MPAs, right? Like, which was kind of your traditional model. It's like just as multiple pages, you know, um, but, uh, you know, so there's new tools that are kind of leaning into that. But yeah, but that's where I think we kind of got a little lost in Jamstack. This is my personal opinion. This is not mm. obviously the Netlify position. I don't work for them. I don't represent them. But, you know, I thought it kind of got lost. Things got a little confusing. We also, as like we being kind of just the general developer community, seemed to kind of think that Jamstack meant I had to use React or or Angular or Vue, um, that the the J meant I was using a JavaScript framework. I had to ship a JavaScript framework. They uh. it essentially had to be uh, an SPA. And I think we kind of lost sight of the original intent of all of this, uh, which, you know, if you think about when it, when it came out, I, one of the things I loved about it was the simplicity, right? Like this was back to web development that I kind of understood way back when I started building websites, which was like 25 plus years ago, um, you know, and, and just, I, it was a model I could understand. It worked really fast. Um, mm -hmm. It was easy to develop. Um, you know, there was just so many benefits to it. And, and I, I could teach somebody how to do this really quickly. Um, I couldn't, you know, I'm not criticizing Next per se about this, but I could not throw somebody into Next and have them learn this in a day or two. Uh, this is like, you know, to me, a multi-week project just to get you started building stuff properly with Next. Uh, so, so yeah, that simplicity got lost and and we got, you know, we kind of lost sight of what the, I think the original intent of Jamstack was. And to be quite honest, I mean, as you mentioned, it was a marketing term kind of, Netlify really controls what the definition is, and their definition has shifted along with the capabilities of the Netlify platform. So, mm, mm, mm. yeah, exactly, because now they have this server-side rendering stuff too, and then you're like, okay, this is just really, you know, jumped the shark or something. Because what? Because you could have here. Here's some two extreme examples, and I'm not, you know, sometimes extreme examples aren't my favorite because you're like, I don't know, you're. But in in this case, I think it it demonstrates the breadth, which is a site that ships a div with ID of root on it. So it's totally client side rendered. But but that but but that shell that is it's hosted on a server that has no Python, PHP, Ruby, Go, whatever. There's no server side language at all. It is a statically hosted index.html file. It just so happens that it only has one div on it with an ID of root and that React boots up, looks at that thing and client side renders all the rest of it. And it's got auth that's powered by cloud functions. It's got data that it's pulling from fancy APIs. It boots up a 10 million page e-commerce site. It's just the most complex thing in the world. But, but that, that index.html file happens to be hosted on Netlify, you know? So it's Jamstack or a website that's just like a brochure site that just has a couple of has the soup of the day on it. But it's it's an index.php file and it's hosted on a PHP server. 
That one's not Gemstack. Even though the spirit of the PHP one is way more original Gemstacky feeling than the other one. So now you have these two examples with this huge breadth in between. <laughs> and so it's the, the, it just, to me, it demonstrates that Gemstack, or it could, I'm not like hardline taking this position, is all pretty freaking meaningless. Yeah, I mean... Uh... <laughs> I'm not totally disagreeing with you. And in fact, if you look at like the the Web Almanac uh, that came out this this past, the most recent one, uh, Lori Voss and Salma Alam-Naylor, both of NetLify, by by the way, um, they did a chapter on Jamstack. And their definition would actually have included your index.php because it was more about Uh. the, ultimately what, you know, the... They judged it based on some of the underlying like goals, which is we're trying to deliver something fast and that performs, you know, a certain way. Uh, and so they part of that had was driven by the fact that they only have certain data that the Web Almanac can analyze. And so how do you find what's Jamstack and what's not Jamstack using the data that they had? But they're they're their focus was more on the outcomes as opposed to the tools that achieve those outcomes. Mm. So in theory that in that site could fall into that, I'd say the more official Netlify definition probably still would exclude that PHP site. Um, You know, and I, I tend to be, I worry a little bit about like, not as much as they used to, but just, the more mushy we make the definition, the less obviously the less value it has. If it's just web development, then then why even why even go there? But and that's where I got to this kind of framing around. Um, there are a common set of tools. Like if you go to a Jamstack event, you're probably not going to hear talks about building sites with PHP and WordPress because that isn't the approach. Uh, but you will hear about using things like Next or Astro or Eleventy, and you will learn about tools like Algolia and Contentful, and you know, uh-huh. and um, whatever you know you want to use for auth and different tools like that. Uh, you know, so there is some commonality there in how we build things that is at least understandable um, on a general sense, even if I can't pin it down and say, well, this is how you build a Jamstack site. Um, when Ray and I wrote, actually wrote a book about this, Ray Camden, um, and I wrote a book about this recently, we we kind of went with this approach is like, we can't tell you how to build a Jamstack site. So we're going to give you a bunch of different approaches and then explore some of the tools. Actually, the book company didn't love this idea because they're more used to like front to back. This is how you do something from beginning to end. And we're like, just, okay, this chapter, we're showing you Hugo, that chapter, we're showing you Next.js, that chapter. And we jumped around a lot, but the idea was there's a lot of different approaches. They're all equally valid. Um, you know, and ultimately a developer who's building a site, I don't care in the end, if the end result qualifies as Jamstack or not. Um, you know, these are just, it's, I think if there's beneficial, um, approaches within the overall like architecture but if i end up building a whole section of the site that's purely built in php i mean like in server-side rendered while the rest maybe is gatsby or hugo or next.js or whatever and it doesn't really matter as long as i'm doing what needs to be done and i'm delivering a good result like 
if it doesn't qualify as Jamstack, there's no authority out there say which it kind of <laughs> can't because there's literally no definition for it anymore. But I know you, I, I know what you mean. I wonder if it was kind of just an anti-hero. You know, like we had Lampstack, very specific Linux, Apache. Uh, MySQL and PHP, right? And then people tried to do like Mean Stack, Mongo, Express, Angular, <laughs> lol. <laughs> no, Angular is good now, I guess. Uh, and it has signals and uh, Node. Like, <laughs> I, I guess like maybe Jamstack was sort of like, hey, it's JavaScript and markup, and uh, we kind of don't care where your data is. We're not going to be picky about a database, and we're not going to be picky about like. We'll just assume you use an API to go get that. You know, I, maybe like the vagueness worked. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we've been, you know, 2015, that term came around. So, seven something years, eight years, like we've been talking about it. So, maybe it just worked. I don't know. Maybe that was, was the hero we needed. Yeah. <laughs> This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Front End Masters. That's frontendmasters.com. Uh, hey, Dave. They're pretty good, right? Uh, I'm big fan, big fan. Heck yeah, they're a super, I, I don't know, they just run a good business over there. Lots of good learning material. One thing you should do is click that learn link in the header. You'll take to their learning paths area, just slash learning at Frontend Masters. And this is what I was so envious of when I was running CSS Tricks is that I never had like course material that was like, start here do these things and it will train your brain forward in this arena. CSS Tricks was never good at that. It was more like a newspaper or just somewhere where you just like landed via Google or whatever. This is better than that. This, <laughs> this is learning done right because you, you know, there's like this big SVG circle that fills out the percentages of, of finishing a course. It gives you that satisfaction of actually learning something, right? Yeah. my The way my brain works is like, you know, I, it's so much easier to follow a course like end to end versus like piecing together 52 different blog posts and YouTube videos and stuff like that and hoping I understand like React or something like that. So uh, that's what I really like about Frontend Masters is like it's taught by experts, everything like that. Yeah, man. But and it it's great. And one of the most common questions on Shop Talk Show is like, what do I need to learn next or whatever? Well, there's your answer. There's like... 10, 15, 20 courses that you can just like go through and uh, just A to Z it. Go for it. Yeah, dude. Frontendmasters.com. I think Phil Hawksworth factors into this a little bit. I remember at one point there was a PR on the Jamstack website that decapitalized it. It used to be capital yes. J A M stack, and then and then he lowercased it, and then, and it was kind of a speculative PR. You know, it was one of those like let's talk about this kind of thing, and people weighed in and stuff. And I remember that. That's probably worth linking up in the show notes if we can dig it up. It was interesting to see what people thought because even then the, the the idea was like it's more of a vibe, yo. Than, than the acronym itself. So I think that was kind of a strong oh, yeah. move. But he had some other thoughts that maybe surfaced later that were like, it's more about the decoupling of technology than it is anything else. It's more that I can produce these pages over here as part of a pre-rendering step, and I can use some other company for auth, and I can use some other company for for getting content or whatever. And the fact that I'm like plucking those things up and piecing them together, that's what Jamstack is, is that the bucket yeah. that yeah. I put them all in. And that's now the official 
Jamstack definition is really about decoupling. It, it, in fact, I don't think it mentions JavaScript APIs in markup because when he decapitalized that, was essentially saying that we're not using the acronym anymore. It, you know, even though you'll still see all these articles come out and like, oh, JavaScript APIs and markup is kind of like the intro to Jamstack, and it's like really not anymore. Um, we don't we even within the Jamstack community generally don't use the acronym as having any meaning anymore. Um, so his idea at the time was that, you know, at some point, Ajax meant asynchronous JavaScript and XML, right? Mm-hmm. And it was capitalized because it was an acronym. And then suddenly, like one day, Ajax was just a way of using JavaScript because there was no XML. And, you know, it was just, it lost that we de- we took the capitalization out and made it not an acronym. It still had some some meaning that we understood, but but it wasn't specifically those that uh, stack of asynchronous JavaScript and XML. Um, so that was the idea behind de- decapitalizing it. I think now it is really just they say about decoupling, and that's where I agree with them on that take. Uh, I do think the decoupling is an important aspect of it, but I don't think like I, I can't tell that to a developer and have that mean much of anything to them. Like, okay, I get it. Decoupling. Now, how do I build that? Like, okay, yeah. Uh, okay. Now we got to get specific tools. And, and every time I think about it, I'm like, okay, I could tell you that, but then ultimately I'm going to lead you down a path that involves certain tools. And those, again, those tools tend to be common, you know, across, you know, uh, the Jamstack community. I mean, there's a lot of them, but, you know, but I could list you out the eight to 10 tools that pretty much everybody is using as far as like the gener- static site generator, which even right. that term now doesn't actually generate static sites anymore. So it's like, it's a whole, but we still <laughs> use the term, right? <laughs> oh, wow. It's funny to me that LFI doubled down on the on the gem sector, and they still do. It's all over the homepage. That's fine. They should own that, probably. It would be kind of weird to abandon it. But it was there was a little moment where I feel like Vercel was almost strong-armed into it. It seems they've, they've totally backed away from it now, that, which is also probably the correct move. But it, it seemed like, oh, man, are we going to have to use our competitor's term? Is it? Is it like, I'm sure that they're they're like, whoo, glad we ditched that. You know, I think they're they're happy to see that term kind of lose meaning and stuff. And, you know, other services, too. I remember Microsoft used it for a minute with one of their tools. They're, you know, they're like, do we, does everybody have to use this? But I think of AWS Amplify, too, which was kind of a, a, a tool they kind of put out to jump in on this a little bit. Like there should be a, you know, you can use your own tools, but we should offer some kind of static hosting. I feel like a lot of companies wanted to get in on the static mm-hmm. hosting thing because they saw how how beloved Netlify was, even though I'm surely a dr- just the tiniest drop of a, in a bucket compared to anything that Microsoft or Amazon are doing hosting wise. You know, they were, they they saw blood in the water or something and, and tried to change stuff. But I thought Ab- Amplify is almost funny because it's if the spirit of it is decoupling, Amplify comes along and says. Here's static hosting in the spirit of gems, I think. Only we have everything you need. Do not <laughs> decouple. No decoupling. Use all the... Anyway, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. it's true. Anybody even cares I was going to say, yeah, Microsoft went with their static web apps as their term. I don't know that mm-hmm. Versal had a, had a term, but, uh, you know, uh, more recently, I don't know if you know Brian LaRue. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been... 
he he had founded this company named Begin, uh, and he's been pushing this idea for the past year or so of functional web apps uh, as an alternative term. Um, I don't, you know, I understand his differentiation. Um, I probably take too long to explain here, but uh, but it's also probably just as vague as as you know Jamstack in in many ways. It, you know, it sounds like it sounds like Leo Laporte jamming net net casts down everyone's throat for twenty years, only to have it <laughs> nothing. Uh, well, wasn't it uh, also um, Rich Harris has uh, transitional web apps and stuff like that? Uh, yes, it's kind of a exactly. separate, different thing. Um, I, I'm thinking. Hey, when I'm, I'm thinking here. Um, are we like creating a problem for beginners? Do, like, like you said, like. Oh man, I'm get, I want to do websites, and you're like, yeah, cool. Uh, you should just build a simple site. Cool. How do I build a simple what, simple site? Oh, you gotta build a Jamstack site, and then it's like, how do I build a Jamstack site? Well, there's 70 tools you gotta know, and <laughs> this start here. Uh, I mean, have we have we? I guess is the term so convoluted now? the idea of a, a simple or basic or, or, you know, cause Jamstack doesn't mean simple or basic really. Cause it, it can do so much now. Um, yeah. But, but like, ha, I guess, have we ruined the entry point? I guess is what I want to ask. Uh, I will agree with you. Yes, we have, but I don't think this is a Jamstack problem. I think personally, I think this is a web development problem. Uh, I don't think there's, there's not generally a simple way to, to, teach somebody how to build a website. I mean, other than maybe just go grab WordPress and, and, you know, run the install process and move on from there. But like, generally speaking to other than that, it's it, like the whole process of web development has become complicated. There's a thousand tools and, and that's not a Jamstack specific issue. Um, I do think it's, it's been a problem with, for Jamstack from day one, because there was not any kind of, um, you know, didn't tell you how to build anything. It was, it was always broad. I mean, even when the term was created, it was like, oh, you could use Jekyll, you could use Hugo, you could use Middleman, you could use, uh, I can't remember what other ones were popular back then. But even when I was giving that presentation, there was 300 and something different static site generators. I mean, not everyone was used, but there was still a lot of them uh, that were, were used. So, it was never, never prescriptive. It was always kind of complicated. Things have only gotten more complicated, but a lot of that complication to me is additional layers that have been added onto building just the general website, whether you call it Jamstack or not, you're going to be <laughs> sent a thousand different tools. And now we have to, you know, run it through build systems and so on. It was so funny that all of them are like, they're like, well, we need to have search on our website. And all of them are like, whoa, whoa. We don't. We don't have search. Like somebody's like, oh, we need to have uh, somebody who can who can edit blog posts but not publish new ones. Whoa, whoa. we don't. We don't. We can't do that. You know, like just like name a feature. They didn't have it really. You know, it needed. It was mostly like nerds building websites for themselves, and then it had to grow up from there. But I do. I do think like big picture. It it shook up. It shook up the day day to day. How to build a website. I mean, I think it was go get WordPress was the answer to make a small site, you know, and I think Jamstack. Yeah, that needed a little jab, didn't it? As much as I love WordPress, to have that be the default answer was probably not super great for the web. I mean, we made our podcast empire on that answer, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah. still, there is, I think you're right about that. Like, and it changed kind of expectations for a good way. Like, we should expect more out of what it is like to build a website. For example, I want to be able to, like, have my deployment of a website connected to the Git experience. That mm -hmm. changed in the Jamstack land. And I should be able to look at a preview of what my website's going to be like before I accept a PR. That mm. expectation changed because of Jamstack. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Which <laughs> and that's how that's how GitHub makes all its money now. <laughs> is doing deploy previews. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it did it did shake things up a lot. Um and you know, I I I love that the where we're headed right now. I mean, I think we've kind of went through a period where where the tools got convoluted and complex um but i think and and where we weren't even delivering on the promises that it said i mean like you know one of the things the original ones were about like you know it being fast but if you actually like looked at jamstack sites particularly because we started sending these giant javascript bundles um you know it, they weren't necessarily that fast um, and we, you know, we said they were more secure, but once you start doing everything server side and also like, it's arguably not more secure. In fact, the secure part is not even part of the benefits listed in the definition anymore. Um, you know, so, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I, but I do think we've, we've turned a corner. Uh, I'm, I, I love the new sets of tools that have come like, Astro has me really excited. Svelte-Kit, some of the stuff that's going on with Eleventy. I mean, these tools are 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 actually becoming what I think, like a mature version of what what we wanted back in 2015. Um, and we took a big detour around, like just throwing lots and lots of JavaScript at people, and now we're coming back to like a little bit of that simplicity with multi-page applications, as well as like, okay, we need to actually live up to the promises we made about performing well. Yeah, that's great. So it can be, I don't know. So we haven't, yeah, I, I think your larger point that like, I don't know, you, I feel like you, you're agreeable in that the it's a nearly meaningless term as if you sit down like with a piece of paper and try to like write down what the criteria is or a Jamstack checklist or something. But you can be like, you can shrug and be like, I don't care that I can't do that because... I still know what to expect at a Jamstack conf. It's there's still there's still something to, you know. And and was it? Uh, am I saying this for the first time on the show? Or you call it at one time like a community term? Yes, that's right. That, that is it, what it's, it describes the community more than it does the technology. Yeah, I think that's 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 kind of how I feel about it right now because I can't pin down the exact definition of the technology, but. But, you know, it does, like I said, it describes something meaningful in the sense of I can I can go to these events or I can join the Jamstack community or I can read a Jamstack book or, you know, get my I have a Jamstack newsletter and kind of get a, I have a general sense of what the content's going to be about, uh, the tools that it's going to include, uh, you know, and so on. So mm -hmm. so it is more of a community term, uh, you know, and, and that's where I mean, if if we thought if. I mean, we believed it was an architecture at some time, but, uh, you know, that was people was like, oh, it's not really a stack. It's an architecture. Um, I mean, in a vague sense, maybe it still is an architecture, but it really is just, it's, it, to me, it's a, it's a lot of, 
people using very similar tools who have a lot of common, common, you know, a common, well, a lot of overlap, right? And we can all kind of get together and share ideas and, and share how to use these different tools with other different tools and so on and so forth and, you know, learn from each other. And that's, that's what it is. I mean, I know that's a mushy definition and it's even mushier than the official one, you know, and I don't expect them to go, go with my definition, but, um, but I do think that's, that's the reality of it right now. And that's why, like, I don't get overly concerned with like digging into the specific technologies that it, it means, because I think, you know, it's okay. It's okay. That it's vague. A lot of terms are vague. I mean, what's serverless? Tell me what serverless is, because it's really hard to define what exactly what serverless is too, right? I mean, we're used to these terms as they as they mature and they start adding capabilities and they start, you know, you add new vendors and it, the term becomes less and less meaningful. I mean, I, I probably, I think maybe serverless started out vague. I don't know, but um but I do feel like it's even more vague now, right? So it was just lambdas. Yeah. We should just keep it at that. That's all it means. Exactly. <laughs> okay, here's another one. We'll move on just a just a smidge. We ask all our guests this question: Why the hell did Netlify buy Gatsby? That's weird. Oh, I, that one's easy to. I actually wrote a post about that one too. <laughs> um, yeah. So why did Netlify buy Gatsby? Because of Valhalla, and I can tell you from conversations I've had with folks at Netlify, even the leadership of Netlify for a long time, this has been something they believe is important that, that bringing together all the different data sources that, um, that developers have to use to build applications nowadays is increasingly complex. Um, and that there's, there's a way to kind of unify those into a single backend for your application, even if I'm using all kinds of different services and APIs and so on. I can actually bring those all together and not have to constantly recreate the wheel and learn it, you know, and, and uh, have all kinds of different, like, Oh, I'm authenticating with this API and authenticating with that API. And then, and then calling out to this other API and, and, you know, making a mess of my code with callbacks and, and so on. Um, you know, I'm waiting for this API call to come back before I call out to this other API kind of thing. Like we can make one unified backend. And that's, that's what, that's what they believe they've, they bought one graph. Um, I think it was like two years ago along these lines, they invested in um, another. Which ran for like one year, right? In that it looks like they threw in the towel very much on purpose on that, being like, mm, maybe that wasn't something that we want to support. So why would Valhalla be something they want to support, knowing that one graph was ostensibly a failure? I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I don't I don't know their plans for one graph. I know you can't sign up for it anymore. So, you know, the mm. Netlify graph as they rebranded it. Um, so I don't know what the future is for that, uh, but it does. Okay. One graph had, had a underlying problem, which was that any API that one graph supported had to be, you basically had to get either the vendor or Netlify themselves to build that into the one graph. So it, it, it had a, a, you know, difficulty scaling up to all the APIs that you would use. And, the, and even then, it, it still has limited capabilities because if you talk to companies, I worked for Stepson who actually got acquired by IBM 
recently. I, I, I was not, wasn't with them at the time, but, um, I was with them for a year, a couple of years ago. And, and we, we had a similar type of solution. So when you talk to people who use these things, they tend to actually be, they're using all these external APIs, but what's really important to them is actually they have a lot of internal APIs that also need to, and need to coexist with this. And, and what good is a one backend API source that only deals with my external APIs when I have all these internal APIs that I still need to integrate it with. So the idea behind Valhalla is it's any arbitrary backend you can connect it to in theory. Um, so it can be my internal APIs as, and, and it can be um, external ones and they're all into that kind of um, mesh um, as you, as you might call it's it. It's more magical. It requires no adapter or whatever. Is that the is that the thing? You, could you speculate that one graph needed the adapters? Thus, it was worse technology. They saw the writing on the wall. They saw their they could maybe get their hands on Valhalla, which is a similar concept, but but technically better. And that we should shut down one graph and buy Valhalla, and that's the real future. Uh, you know, more or less. Yes, I think that's that's the case. Uh, yeah. It, so Valhalla, for what it's worth, is is essentially a productized version of Gatsby's data layer, which has been around since mm -hmm. Gatsby started, but they started to separate that out. Um, so you could basically, you know, use the data layer as its own product to create that kind of unified GraphQL backend for your application that brought in, I mean, as you know, like if you've used Gatsby at all, you could just, you know, you, that was one of the beauties of it when it came out was like, okay, I want to use this, you know, data source, I just plug that into like the, the back end and it'll suddenly it shows up in my GraphQL API and I can use that in conjunction with with any other APIs or or whatever mm -hmm. other data sources that um, that it connects to. Even I might have a plugin that I could just say, hey, you know, I want to use this data source and there's a plugin for this and it automatically configures it for me. Uh, does the authentication and whatever else needs to be done to get it to work. So that's essentially what Valhalla is, is a productized version of that backend. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it it is, I think, more scalable, probably solves more solutions than just, uh, you know, I have to work with a company to 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 actually ha have that integration built uh, like OneGraph did. In this case, you could add your own, right? You can create your own. So yeah, better version, I still, and I think it's, it brings, you know, to, up till now, Netlify really hasn't been involved in the data layer. I think seeing them trying to target bigger enterprises, I think that's an important aspect of the application, you know, like of your, obviously the data is going to be an important aspect of your application. So, so I can see how, they feel like this is um, a way they need to expand to really meet the needs, particularly I think of large enterprises. This probably isn't targeted, and I'm, I'm speculating here, isn't targeted at, you know, the individual developer building their small little site. Right. There's plenty of evidence that once you uh, take a take a slurp of enterprise that you, you keep slurping it because there's so much money there. Uh, yeah. 
That's a that's a that's a possibility. Interesting. Yeah, and they have stayed out of the data thing. It's been it's been very interesting. I know that I, I think that's contentious almost, and that it just seems like such an obvious move. Like, dude, just give me something, a KV store or whatever, to put a little bit of data. God, it would just open the doors wide open on what you could do using just their core tools, especially because you want them to do it because they've done such a good job of DX stuff that Mm -hmm. having it all in-house would just be like, oh, so seemingly so nice. Uh, but they haven't. But that that could be a philosophical move. You know, I remember I talked to somebody at Netlify ages ago when Gatsby was like at, at its peak. It turned out that a ton of what was on Netlify at all was Gatsby. Yeah. They're like, man, if they if they, <laughs> I don't know, made their own Netlify, Netlify would be screwed. Kind of, or that was the feeling at the moment. And then they did. And Netlify was <laughs> and Netlify wasn't screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they had, I don't even know what it was. I guess they did make a cloud thing, right? I don't, I don't know exactly how Gatsby it worked, cloud, but I yeah. thought it was more, I thought it was the selling point was more like you can see previews than it was hosting, but maybe it was both. I, don't I think know. it was just expensive. <laughs> oh, you, you've checked it out? Well, I thought, I, if I recall, I, I can't really, I, I thought it was, yeah, like, you know, Netlify's free 99, you know, and it starts at like 42 or something for Gatsby, you know, and I just, anyway, I think that was just. Yeah. yeah. I, in a way, you can't blame them because you're like, I don't know, you you took VC, your thing is just a, a open source front end tool thing. How are you going to make money? You got to do something. I, I think it's, I don't know, again, speculating about Netlify, but they have the, we build your site layer. They have now the data layer. I mean, maybe that's maybe they don't need a database layer, but maybe they maybe that's easier now. You know, because if they would have made a database layer, we would have been like, well, that sucks because I still have to use whatever raw SQL to get it out or whatever. You know, but now they're like, no, we got we got the layer, so maybe there's a a future there. So yeah, it's I'm, I'm interested to see where they where they take it um, and how they integrate it. Uh, so. It, you know, I, I really, I don't have any insider information. I just, you know, speculating myself. Matt, if you're listening, neither of them are public, right? We'll never find out what the what the price tag was, right? Because um, no. neither of them are public. Yeah, no, they weren't. And and yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll know. I mean, I think we, I think the we are going to see a trend of of these companies getting acquired because you know, uh, to be yeah, frank, I mean, mm-hmm. most of them they're their valuations have been shaved in half at, at, you know, at least. So from, you know, the standpoint of somebody who's looking for potential acquisition, this is like got lots of ripe targets. Not only has that, but like the fact of the matter is, is the VC market is kind of, you know, almost closed off. So, you know, I had my valuation shaved in half and I'm running out of runway. So, you know, come for sale, I'm for sale. <laughs> exactly. I am for sale. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, I'm for sale. But isn't that driven more by who's buying than who's selling? Oh, yeah. I don't know. For sure. For sure. Uh, but I, I think, you know, they, we in that one week alone, which seemed like a pattern that you had Gatsby get bought by Netlify and then steps in, got bought by uh, IBM. And it was like, you know, all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait, is everybody, is is this whole GraphQL mesh API 
a whole big thing. And it's like, mm, eh, I think it's just bargain hunting in a way. I mean, I do think philosophically with, with what um, Netlify was pursuing for years, Valhalla fits with that. Um, but so yeah. obviously it's gotta be a, a fit, but I do think, you know, we, we all knew Gatsby was off it well off its peak. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. So, that wasn't a surprise. I, I, this is a speculation. I do wonder how much investors are involved to like, you know, Gatsby's yeah. probably like looking at the bank account, like, Hey, we're not going to make it very far. And then they're like, okay, let's do a seed round or, and then they, another round. And then the investors are just like, Hey, the best situation here is to sell. So like, cause you know, I don't know the, the, you know, VC markets, I see, I think I read something. It's down like 42% or something like that. Um, Could have been a board call. I don't know. It's- Could have been a board call. Yeah. What if Matt's on the board? Oh man. We didn't know. <laughs> no. Conspiracy. No, he's not. <laughs> but Matt, if you want to bring us three in for consulting, we're available. So yeah, yeah. we could we yeah, could talk it's a through little all expensive, this. Yeah. We'll say now, but we, you can bring us in. So. I feel like once you're at this moment where you're like, okay, I'm gonna have one API, and that one API can go get data. It powers my search. It's got it's you know it's it's connecting to all these different sources. That's so you're such an advanced website. That's like a that's a that's a needy. That's not a hobby project in any way. Like you got a team, you're building custom stuff. And at the moment that you got a a big team and you're building custom stuff, I don't want such a crucial thing to be like, I want to write that. That's like a, that's like a brick of this app that I'm going to write. I'm going to write my service that connect to these things and do these things. I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, the glue that glues my entire application together. I'm just going to use this thing. Just a thing that was given to me, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think you got a point. Uh, you know, that I that was one of the, when I was with Stepson, that was one of the things we'd hear from developers when we reach out. They're like, the, to them, it was, well, I don't, I don't know that I want to hand that over to you, number one. And number two, um, it's not that I like, they didn't feel like it was that hard of a thing to build for them. I think it's just so used to kind of writing the code to call out to these APIs that, that it wasn't um, a big impediment to them, but yeah, where where at least it steps in where we would see value, uh, at least at the, during my time there was actually, funnily enough, in large enterprises that had multiple internal APIs, and oftentimes those internal APIs were maintained by a bunch of different teams who really weren't in communication and didn't. You know, so so like me, even, even as an internal developer, trying to use our internal APIs became a complicated mess. So then they were like, well, we want to try and unify this, but building the uh, project to unify that internally would be complicated. So can we just use your service to then wire all these things together internally and give us one backend for all our internal APIs? Mm. I don't know that that is necessarily where, where Netlify is going. Cause I, I, I would suspect theirs is a little different, but that was, that was one use case. That I was like, okay, I, that actually kind of makes sense of, to me. And, and I could see why they'd want to do that. Cause it was cheaper and easier in many ways than trying, than a project trying to unify the existing rest APIs as they, as they were. It, you, you think you hope, 
people are very deciduous about what data they have and where it's stored. But the reality is, that's not how it works. It's like marketing just bought Contentful or whatever. <laughs> and then, you know, but we had a WordPress and then we had, you know, like uh, somebody wrote their own database or something like that, you know. And so it's these like kind of abstractions on top probably are pretty useful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so we're not we're not totally done yet. But we got to wrap up pretty soon. Everybody should um, subscribe to RemoteSynthesis.com. It's got an RSS feed. Heck yeah, the the you know the the takes have been delicious and spicy over there, and in like in interesting topics. You know, I this the, we could get into this whole idea of the fact that developer conferences are still down forty percent post pandemic. That's a crazy thing to talk about, and I think you're about right. And this your most recent can DevRel be done without Twitter, which is in, incredible. Obviously, that was the epicenter for all conversation is dying out faster than can be. Um, you seem to be the one writing about these things, so good job. Keep up, keep up that. Is there any uh, comments about either of those you want to make in our last few minutes here? Oh, I, I first of all, I appreciate that, and I'd say also never gave up on RSS. <laughs> I'm glad to see it's come <laughs> back around. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I particularly the events one, the developer conferences one, resonate. I mean, that one kind of went went crazy, and I, I didn't, I wasn't really anticipating that, but it seemed to resonate with a lot of people. Um, because both people who run conferences and people who attend them and the people who sponsor them and so on, um, is that, you know, it, there's definitely something not right in the current state of, of conferences. And when you see great conferences, like an event apart, and that's just naming one, but there's a lot of like, just kind of calling it quits. Um, it's like, you know, you're like, okay, something's not right here. And it's, I mean, I just finally decided to write that after about a year of just talking to people since events opened back up and saying like, okay, people are like, okay, it's eventually gonna, gonna come back in full. Right. And it just never did. And, and things just didn't seem right. And conference organizers were more stressed out than I'd ever seen them. And this is already a naturally very stressful job to take on is running a conference. And they were even more stressed out than ever um, because just it was harder to, to get people to come. It was harder to make any money off of it. And, and I, and, and to be clear, I'm talking about um, more, not like the big conferences run by corporations. These are more like your independent or community type conferences. Um, and I, I just worry because those to me in my career, if you had to guess in the middle of the pandemic, wouldn't you have said, wouldn't you have said, oh, it's going to be crazy when the pandemic's over. This is going to come back. They'll be twice as big. That would have been an easy prediction during it. It's so strange that now it's just absolutely not the yeah. case at all. Yeah. I mean, here we are, you know, I mean, what we're, they've been open for a year and a half and, and we're still not seeing the attendance that was there pre-pandemic. So and there's something you know. going on. It's not just people being like, oh, I'm still a little afraid of the pandemic. Yes, that's happening. There's some of those people, but there's no way that that's enough yeah. to account for the downness. I think you had a good notion in your post. You're, you're kind of like, you know, 60% of people come for the content, 50, 60% of people come for content, right? 
and the acceleration of onlineness. I think in the pandemic, you know, mm. I, I can get the content better. There's better ways. I, I felt like that during all my online conferences. I, I would actually wait till the conference was over, and then I would watch the live stream at two x and like <laughs> power the whole day in three hours versus sitting at my computer for eight hours. I mean, it was like maybe two hours if if I'm like skipping breaks and stuff like that. And so like I I feel like I there are better delivery vehicles for content right now. But you miss that camaraderie, which is also why I go to conferences to whatever. Mm-hmm. Get lost in a city with with internet friends. It was so funny how it had to be both, right? People would talk about like, ah, well, screw the conference. We should all just get together and go eat barbecue or something. And that's a great idea, but nobody ever do that. You know, you can't. Nobody does. I am. No, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have a, a somebody a up, pretense. And, yeah, somebody's somebody's got to pretend to talk about JavaScript for a minute, and then you can yeah. go eat barbecue. Plus, plus, I need to convince my employer to pay for it. So, yeah, right. so I can come hang that's out the bigger. with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is honestly, I mean, that's how most people pay for it. Yeah. So that's yeah. everybody's working from home. The employers are like, your your whole life is a conference. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I, I think to Dave, to your point, it's, it's true. This is what this is what I think happened is is and and even like the what people watch because I run a lot of online events um, as well. I've been running them for like five and a half years, so well before pandemic times. And the behavior of people has changed on, even on that. Like the people who now go to these online events, most of them aren't attending live. They're watching the recordings and often shortly after the conference ends or the event ends, they'll go watch the recordings and I'm assuming at 2X or something like that. But, you know, um, so I'm getting let a lot less uh, live attendees, but a lot more video watching. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's, I think we had joked about it poorly at the event apart conference because we were like, oh, video is probably too expensive. Now that feels like a bad note. But um, but the I, I think like for a live conference to also have video that you, you know, either monetize or put online YouTubes with commercials or something, like that's maybe a great way to extend the life and revenue of your conference, you know? So I don't know. I, I hope people do that more. There are people trying different ways of that. I think, you know, there's some complications. It can be very expensive to video the, li- the live conference. So I've seen even people doing, we have a, a virtual version and a live version, and they're actually independent. Um, kind of one one ones runs one week, and then the next week we run the mm. live version. Um, mm. You know, we're going to see people trying new things, I hope. Um, and And... Hopefully we land on something that that really gets gets this going again because you know these events. Part of why I wrote this was like these events played an important role in my career. They were important to my development, not just in terms of the content that I, the things I learned, but but the people I met there. And so seeing them go away is 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 just sad to me because I I feel like it's an opportunity lost, particularly for people who are new to the industry. Um, to kind of, you know, get get that information and meet those people who are going to have a big impact on their careers. And, you know, maybe that's where they find their next job. Maybe that's where they, you know, make a connection to get on 
this shop talk podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's, I, I think they're, they have an important role to play and it's not, it's not going to be the reinvents or the builds or the, you know, these gigantic corporate conferences. I, I, I hardly meet anybody there to be quite honest, unless I already know them and we coordinate to meet. It's like, it's not the kind of place you meet people. You meet them at these smaller independent conferences. Oh, you got my brain, brain gears turning. So I have to revive the shop talk conf idea. So <laughs> I, maybe when I'm a billionaire, but anyway, well, uh, Chris, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Um, well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show for people who aren't following you and giving you money. How can they do that? So yeah, Chris mentioned remote synthesis.com is my blog. Uh, you can also find a link to, I'm not really on Twitter anymore. Um, so you can find me on Mastodon, um, uh, basically everywhere I'm um, at remote synth. So uh, yeah, that would be the easiest way to reach me. And be sure to pop that blog in the RSS. It's uh, It's been popping off this year. I feel like I had like, I had to read blog posts for this show because I was just like, I, I kept queuing them up in my read later, you know. Um, but anyway, so thank you so much for uh, uh, blogging. Appreciate that. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast shirts. Be sure to start our favorite up there so people find out about the show. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for like zero tweets a month. Or da, 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 we have a brand new at Shop Talk Show at front end hyphen social or front hyphen end dot social uh, over on the Mastodon. Yeah, we got a Mastodon finally. Yeah, they let us on there. That's great. And uh, so you can uh, follow us Mm -hmm. on Mastodon. There will be at least uh, tens of toots a month. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. We're up to one. We've got one toot so far. So we're doing pretty good. And, of course, you can join us in the Discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? No, shoptalkshow.com.